Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Pemberley Podcast. We're still on hiatus as we, you know, decide what our next adaptation is going to be that we're going to talk about. But we've had so much Jane Austen breaking news over the past couple of weeks that we decided to make a whole episode dedicated to all those updates. Later, we will be joined by Bianca Hernandez-Knight, who is an active member of the online Jane Austen fandom, to give her hot take on uh, all of these changes that are happening. But for now, we're going to start with some updates of our own. Let's dive right into, we've got some like pretty exciting books that either are out or are coming out. One of them is by a debut author named Sarah Doss, who has written a modern YA adaptation of Persuasion called Where the Rhythm Takes You. I have heard a lot about this book. I love the cover and I am excited for her to be a very successful person. And hopefully this is the first of many books to come. Yeah, I'm about halfway through this book. It's set in Tobago and so it has a lot of her own culture there. You know, she obviously enriches the world with what she knows about living there and being there. Um, so you have the character of Raina, who is your Anne Elliot, Aiden, who is the Frederick Wentworth. Since it's YA, they're all teenagers. So it's funny because, you know, in Persuasion, obviously the time gap between Anne and Captain Wentworth seeing each other is years. It's like a decade or more. And in this adaptation, it's like two years, which I mean, to be fair, in teen years is basically a decade. So uh, it makes total sense. Raina is uh, there working at her family's hotel. Aiden was previously her somewhat boyfriend. They were involved and he left and now he's come back and he's like this really big music star with this whole group. So he's back on the island and they have to see each other and navigate what they're relationship looks like or even friendship they're not even friends anymore so i'm about halfway through as i mentioned so i'm, I'm still in the phase where they hate each other <laughs> so i'm excited to see what it's gonna be like once they get together again but it's really it's been a really fun story to dive into Yay, that's so exciting. Next book that we're excited to talk about is uh, Sonali Dev's Incense and Sensibility. We haven't gotten our hands on that yet because it doesn't come out until July 6th. The last book that she wrote, which that we covered on the podcast, was Recipe for Persuasion. So love having all of these out. Yeah. Really excited for Incense and Sensibility. I will say, like, in terms of, like, Jane Austen books that are my favorite, Pride and Prejudice squarely at the top, but Sense and Sensibility, I think, is my next favorite after that. I'm really excited to see what she does with these characters in the next part of the Rajay family um, saga. Yeah, which, I mean, we already know a little bit about it because the way that Sonali weaves in the other characters, we've kind of already met protagonists of this next book. So the book is going to be following Yash Rajay, who is... California's first serious Indian governor candidate. And he's someone who has always known what he wants. We're going to see his story. And also we've met India Dashwood before in Recipe for Persuasion. So now we're going to see more of her story. I believe she is, and we know she's got a sister. I sadly, her name is escaping me right now. But is India the one who owns the yoga studio? Yes. Yeah. I can't wait for a politician to date a woman who runs a yoga studio. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like you like there's your conflict right there. Like yeah. there it is. I feel like I already know what's going to happen. I know how they're going to meet. It's going to be amazing. Well, they know each other, but like I, I know how they're going to grow closer together, you know? Well, I can't wait for that. Perhaps we'll cover that next. We don't know. We can't tell the future. But we can. The next book that we're talking about coming out is by another previous guest who is very beloved by us, Susanna Lane, who is the author and screenwriter of Mr. Malcolm's List, which is obviously an adaptation that we talk about all the time 
uh, she has come out with another book called Miss Lattimore's Letter, and that will be out on August 10th. And it's a new world. It doesn't, it's not like a spinoff of Mr. Malcolm's List. It's kind of like a new world, new characters, fresh slate. So speaking of Mr. Malcolm's List, this has been one of those stories that we've been following for a long time because we're so excited for it. They actually finally filmed at the beginning of this year, which like is an amazing accomplishment given all the restrictions that there have been on filming and for safety reasons. So I'm glad they were able to do it safely. But previously, I mean, we've seen the journey of this. I feel like we've also been part of the journey in some way because we've been following updates along through just headlines. In the short film, Gemma Chan was actually the the lead role. She, I think timing-wise, it didn't work out. So then Constance Wu was going to be the lead, which was like really great. We were excited. But unfortunately, it seems like timing also didn't work out for her. So then they cast this really great actress, Zoe Ashton. Really excited to see her. She's got this really exciting role in uh, Captain Marvel 2 coming out. So I feel like we're going to start to see her name a lot more. So it'll be very exciting to have her attached to this movie. And then also a uh, uh, someone who's very familiar to the Regency world, uh, Theo James, is also going to have a role. Who He was actually replacing Sam Hewen. And then Ashley Park, who if you've seen Emily in Paris, she is uh, Emily's best friend that she comes to know and is really her guide to understanding Paris and the culture. So uh, really excited to see her as well. It looked like so much fun. Uh, I was definitely keeping up with Emma Holly Jones, the director, her Instagram stories. So I felt like I was there, even though we couldn't be there. Not like we were invited anyways. But... No, but I, I feel like it's important that our listeners know that like in our heads, in our wildest dreams and in our hearts, <laughs> we invited ourselves to set. Uh, granted, both of our passports were expired. Yep. Um, <laughs> and like, in fact, I sent mine out to be renewed recently and I'm still waiting on update. Anyway, no passports, no creative claim to this movie at all just like really big fans i mean the whole reason we started this podcast is because we're just really fans of this stuff and we want to get in we want to poke our nose where it doesn't belong a little outraged that no one thought to bring us along but we understood because covid was a thing and like not even suzanne got to go you know yeah so i i feel like we are girls who are just like it's okay that my celebrity invisible boyfriend didn't call me back because you know because <laughs> it's not real but also in our minds we're like it was covid that's like the reason that it didn't that's work out for us yeah <laughs> and not all the real reasons like people being like who are you guys exactly. did you do anything we're not directly involved, but we are the hype people online. But we really want to be involved. <laughs> I mean, really what's so cool about this is that it is this very diverse Regency ad- just adaptation of Suzanne's book. Even before all the Bridgerton just soaring popularity that happened, you know, in December through the beginning of this year, this was a, a story that has also been in this world but just didn't have the spotlight just yet so it's going to be really cool to see once it does get released and once it does come out how it also fits into everything that we're going to be talking about very soon of all these new adaptations coming out and even the diversity that is finally being included in these adaptations. So transitioning out of Mr. Malcolm's list, we also wanted to give some info, just a huge info dump on Jasna Southwest, the Young Filmmakers Contest. Full disclosure, Yolanda and I are on the Young Filmmakers Committee as uh, we entered the contest last year. We won first place in the over 20 category, and now we are on the committee that is making this year's YFC event happen, and hopefully it can happen in person as well. Yeah, that's the goal, which like, just in case you don't know JASNA, it stands for the Jane Austen Society of North America. They have many chapters across North America and just a lot of Jane Austen fans and really awesome events that they put on all year, which for the past year, all the events have been virtual. So at least it's been way more accessible uh, than before. So the Young Filmmakers Contest started in 2017, I believe. Last year was the first year they had opened it up to uh, non-students, so anyone under 30. That's when we entered. And it's been a lot of fun being part of the committee and, and shaping a little 
part of this contest and hopefully we'll get even more awesome entries from hopefully some people who are listening in right now. If you want more info, you can go to jasnasw.com and find info about their Young Filmmakers Contest. You don't need a fancy camera to make a short film. You can literally use your phone, use what you have, and I think it'll be really exciting to see uh, what people make. Really, the only prompt is making a five-minute short film inspired by Jane Austen, or, you know, you could be adapting a a part of one of her books too but really it's like anything within the Austin world that you want to take on a five-minute story that's your prompt go and make things you have all summer to make something so even if this is your first time making the film even if you think maybe nothing will happen make it like we really like we want this to be a hard decision we want to see like a lot of creativity I've even seen TikToks that aren't even a full 60 seconds that like incorporate Regency letter writing with like the plot of Mamma Mia like I don't know if you're also on Mamma Mia uh, Regency TikTok Um, (laughs) you know that's definitely like a thing that happens what was really fascinating about seeing our class of um, winners for over and under 20 is like we all had the same prompt and we all had really different results. And that's what I really love about it. There is no such thing as like too creative or too crazy or too weird if that's your jam. Like if you love filmmaking and you've read any Jane Austen book or even just seen the movies, like we encourage you to make and submit this short film five minutes or less. Make your comedy, make your tragedy, make your longing drama kind of situation like make make your like incorporate your like favorite movie of all time with a Jane Austen prompt I think that there could be so many creative mashups and reimaginings and and anything and and we're just so hungry to see that and I just feel like we've got the best judges and I would love for them to see that too sky's the limit I really believe that Enough about us. So joining us today is Bianca Hernandez-Knight, who is a Jane Austen fan. She runs Virtual Jane Con. She's an avid cosplayer and runs her blog and socials under book hoarding. Everyone welcome, Bianca Hernandez-Knight. Thank you for having me. I can't believe that we actually have a Jane Austen news boom. I didn't think that would be a thing to expect. (laughs) Lots to talk about. It's exciting. All of these have some important commonalities around like why these are thriving spaces right now and why this is exciting. I agree. And I'm excited to dive into all of that. So should we start with our Bridgerton updates? Bridgerton was the last series that Yolanda and I discussed on the podcast. I feel like it is worth mentioning Bridgerton is not a Jane Austen adaptation, but it is just so rare that you find content like this, like good Regency content that I feel like is probably probably loosely based on Jane Austen world stuff to talk about. Whenever I get Austenites that are like a little bit like it's nothing to do with Austen. I'm like, I mean, I think that if you read the books, uh, there's a lot of references to Austen herself, especially in a community that really loves problematic faves like Georgette Heyer. I'm just like Bridgerton and Regency romances come from this tradition. And all of these are 100% influenced by Jane Austen. So it's kind of like one of those like, it, it might be a little bit like chicken eggy, but like definitely Bridgerton comes from tradition that is rooted in Austen's work. So that's why I'm always like, no, it is important that we talk about this because not only is it sexy AF, but like it's really talking about this genre and kind of a meta commentary on like where romance has meandered to. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how you feel about the franchise. I watched the show first because I don't often get to experience something without reading it first. And so that was one of the few times I was like, you know, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna watch it blind, not like have any idea what I'm doing. I really liked it. I read the books after I felt like the show definitely has a lot more strengths than the books. Um, The books were of their time. If you pay attention to romance at all, like there's been certain tropes that are specifically really problematic that they've tried to like move away from, but that were very popular again this is understanding the genre Jane Austen understood her genre real well she understood the genres around her so that's why I'm like this is all really good context it did such a good job taking the elements of the books and then throwing it into this richer world this richer fantasy space because that's I view it as a Regency kind of fantasy thing for multiple reasons because a these people didn't exist none of them um and then on top of that like they just went with a vision that I think was really cool and specific around 
around not only the costumes, but how they, you know, the dancing, the music, all of these elements they put in. I always think about the Coppola Marie Antoinette. They use modern music. They use like Converse in the background. They use modern color palettes and all these things and pop art to make it this really different thing. And I think Bridgerton did that with Regency. And I that's what's exciting to me. And they also actually did the thing that I think a lot of us have been asking for, which is they cast diversely. And I think that's huge. That's massive. I think that is why actually we are probably going to we see the persuasions and the sandit and stuff. The popularity of this is definitely not something to sleep on because that's going to influence other things more than we realize. The background of people asking for diverse or blind casting is that they've been asking for this for so long and no place will do it and try to be like, well, see, we did it and it didn't get good ratings, so we're not going to do it again. And what Bridgerton did was it proved money. Money is how a lot of this industry speaks, right? Um, As much as we want it to be like much above that and about the art, I think money actually has, it's a huge player in the room and Bridgerton was almost like the proof of concept for making a diverse romance specifically when I say romance I mean an adaptation of a romance novel that is its own thing it's its own genre and I think like what it did was it showed this is why people a yes want diversity but then also why people have been begging for romance novels to be adapted because they are like a extra sweet, wilder version of soap operas, but they're different. And I think that's going to be a really important thread that Bridgerton's success is going to, and already, I think, has led to specific casting choices and specific renewals. This money that came from this is going to be a massive player beyond just what we're going to talk about today. Like there's going to be things that are announced years down the line that you will probably be seeing a direct line to Bridgerton's influence. It's really interesting how Bridgerton has already, we've already seen that impact. But also I think you can even look back to like how Hamilton was also a little bit of how that influenced so much of the diverse casting that we've also started to see. And maybe even what part that played into Bridgerton then also getting made. So it really is like this little bit of domino effect of like these big hits that kind of sprout up and create these very passionate fandoms that then just go into the next thing and the next thing and now hopefully even more awesome romances will get made and 100% I think Hamilton definitely has an influence I think for me there is a distinct difference between audiences for theater versus for on screen and I think for me the importance for this was that Hamilton was this beautiful thing that people were like oh yeah see no we do support POC in the arts we do and I'm like but do you like and that's what's like you know my kind of thing i'm like yes i have seen diverse adaptations of austin on stage many times but stage is so different right and i think like hamilton was this massive influential moment but definitely Richardson borrowed and benefited from that but i think that was like the proof concept of we can do this on the big screen too and it can be successful because I think there were some people who were not pleased about Bridgerton because of its quote accuracy and I'm just like please leave I, I don't need you in this conversation at all because arguing over hairpins I feel like you missed the point <laughs> I feel like you're not having fun anymore yeah it's very true I, I'm a TikTok addict I don't know if anyone I know Yolanda knows about it but it makes me really think about like just connecting all these dots of like the Hamilton to the Bridgerton to the you know the other adaptations that we're going to talk about later there's this audio that goes how did this become this become this and I I just like I really see that like moving forward Bridgerton was not only like commercially successful is putting it lightly because it was like the biggest like it was like one of the most viewed shows on Netflix for weeks and weeks and weeks and it's great because you're right like for Hamilton that was like on Broadway where the tickets were famously expensive and like not everyone could go see that Um, whereas Netflix is something that's accessible to a lot more people and they can just enjoy the series. And it's, I guess we can sort of dive into like the news part of it, which is a couple of news points. Number one, it's been renewed for seasons two and three. I'm sure it's going to be renewed far beyond that as well. We are at least getting Anthony Bridgerton's love story in season two. They have announced that Simone Ashley is going to be playing his love interest, which I don't know if anyone here has seen Sex Education, but she did an amazing job playing this girl Olivia in there. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see her in season two. Another news point is that Roger Jean Page 
will not be returning for season two and probably not for anything else. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I, it's a really a bad part on the production side to not have him in a contract to at least appear in season two and beyond. He did his story. His story has had that ending and now he can move on. So really, I mean, it's uh, getting to see Daphne at least uh, in the in the world, but it, it is going to be all focused on Anthony. Sad. I know there's a lot of people are very sad that he won't be returning at all because he was such a big draw for a lot of people and seeing someone who is a man of color being that romantic lead and really being the one to be the face of that romance was really awesome. You know, we'll just have to transfer that love over to Simone and, you know, just continue to see this show thrive. I think like as much as it was a bummer, I still get there are multiple things at play for him not to return. A, he didn't have the contract. B, I'm sure he's had, and we know because he's been announced in a bunch of stuff, he's had major offers. And he's also talked about how he's been snubbed before because people are like, oh, we don't want to cast a black man in this thing. He's in a space where he's won awards. He's projected in this wonderful space. And I also know that this isn't a scenario that he could just pop on for a cameo. Yes, romance novels are generally going to pull back from the main couple every time because that's just how the genre works. Yes, this show has done a lot to like interweave the other characters into season one so that you see everybody. I'm sure they could have tried to do that if we weren't in COVID production times too, if he hadn't taken other roles too. And I just, I think a lot of people don't understand production. In COVID times especially, you are basically in a massive bubble. If you leave that bubble, you screw over like weeks of production basically, if you put that in jeopardy. And I don't think that they would want to have him basically quarantine for like a month plus for like a one day shoot, right? And I don't think he would want to do that. And I think, you know, at least like that's my kind of understanding of generally how that's been working for earlier in the year, at least around those productions. And I just think understanding what that kind of time commitment would be for him. I'm like, who would want to do that? Like, I wouldn't want to like quarantine for like two weeks to work one day and then have to quarantine two more weeks before I could do my next job. Like, I just think most people, if you really kind of thought about it in those terms where it's work, but also like you're missing opportunities because he could be doing a full production that does pay him for more than just a one day gig. And I think that's fine. I think too, um, he probably doesn't want to end up typecast. I think that could also be a concern. I think that's a major concern. Also, when we talk about Theo James later, I'm just going to say, I think that like that's really relevant because certain men in period and costume dramas have suffered from this too enthusiastic fan ravings, mm. people who like kind of cyber stalk them and like make them into like this thirst trap. Like I know Aiden Turner from Poldark has kind of talked about this and dealt with this. And I think that just being aware that there are a lot of factors at play and just saying, you know, like, let him live his life. Like, I get that it's going to be a bummer, but like, I think we can also say, hey, he's got all these amazing roles and we're still going to have Bridgerton. They've cast Simone, Ashley, and she is of Indian descent, right? And it's just like really cool. I know a lot of people are really excited to have an Indian actress in this. And it could play into like a bigger commentary on like the British colonialism, maybe. Maybe there's going to be some tension there. And like, I think they're just people who see there is still very much a path for diversity continuing in the show and playing center stage and also doing better in the show and i think that like yes it's a bummer we lost him but also you know maybe by season six or seven it could be easier for him to show up as a cameo or something we we like the show i think that it's not just based on just individuals so i think just you know support what that's trying to do i agree because it's very much an ensemble show i mean no one the most famous person in the show is julie andrews and we only see her we only hear her voice we don't see her at all she's our gossip girl and so i think it's like amazing that you know roger jean page was just like the shooting star whose career really took off from this show. He's just sort of like too famous to make guest appearances as well. So I agree with like the whole quarantine thing. And I'm like, also, everyone wants to meet this guy. So 
hopefully we will see him in many amazing roles to come. Another sort of Bridgerton update that we got is that we are getting a spinoff about young Queen Charlotte. We are going to get to see young Violet Bridgerton and young Lady Danbury. So Jess Brownwell will be the showrunner of Bridgerton for seasons three and four, taking over for Chris Van Dusen. But yeah, we're going to get a spinoff longer than I just said a couple minutes ago. (laughs) And uh, looks like we're going to get a lot moving forward. I mean, I think there's like a whole eight year plan. That's like their ideal. I mean, it's eight books. Yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah. So I think just depending on the success of each season as it comes up, they'll just continue to renew it in like two seasons at a time. If there's chances for more and more spinoffs, that's also just adding more to like the universe here. I'm so excited to see young Violet Bridgerton and Lady Danbury, just their dynamic, just because I want to see young Lady Danbury (laughs) just excel at who she is. So if she's that badass when she's older, I can't wait to see her in her younger days. And also young Queen Charlotte. I mean, just that whole love story is really interesting. And to see like the beginnings of what that was like within their society, because that was something at least Bridgerton did acknowledge was like, it wasn't until the king married Queen Charlotte that everything changed for them. That's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to dive into how, like, what was the impact of that marriage. And so Shonda Rhimes is actually the one who's going to take hold of this this spinoff, which I'm so glad. Um, so she'll be writing it and executive producing it. I think that the big thing I heard a lot of people upset and critical of about the Queen Charlotte thing was everything was kind of explained in a sentence and in Bridgerton is like love fixed it and I totally get the criticism I also totally get that like this is the genre where that is just a solution to things like love fixed it is very much the fix it in romance things but I do get people's concern and I really hope that this can have its own space to answer those questions because I don't think that's necessarily something Bridgerton itself wants to answer and deal with like it's trying to just go hard on the romance let them we need that we need the love I think that it would be really fascinating, like you said, to see this play out in this realm as like a young Queen Charlotte and Lady, like I cannot wait for young Lady Danbury, whoever's been writing Danbury on screen, done a beautiful job. I can't wait to see the casting choices for this. I'm also really excited for things to focus and center like young women, young like women of color as like the kind of center like who who are following. Because I think like that's been the big thing that's kind of missing from these things. It's like, yeah, I mean like it's cool that you have, you know, men of color in these things, but women of color also want to see themselves reflected in this space. So it's I, I just am really excited to see Again, the success of Bridgerton doing the other things that audience have been asking for to see themselves reflected on screen, but also, oh, the gossip that's going to happen, the like intrigue <laughs> under like Lady Danbury and Queen Charlotte and a young um, Violet. I just can't wait. It's going to be the one to beat. All right, let's uh, move along to another adaptation that is in the works in several different forms, which is Persuasion. Now, we're going to have to break this up a little bit because as far as we as civilians know, there are two Persuasion adaptations. One of them that I feel like we've known about for longer, starring Sarah Snook. She's most famous from Succession, and she is in the show married to Matthew McFadden, who uh, was Mr. Darcy in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Um, So there's the Sarah Snook version, which I think is going to be true to like the period. And then there's the Dakota Johnson version, which is allegedly going to be modern day adaptation and we that's happening like right now like they're in the UK they're in pre-production that's like about to be filmed and they've announced a lot more of the cast so which should we dive into first I mean the Sarah Snook one we don't actually have a lot to to go off of right now we just know that there is a female director behind it and also a female playwright so there's like a really solid female team that is actually ushering this one forward Joel Fry who has mainly had a lot of supporting character roles is now taking like this really big leading role as Frederick Wentworth. It's a big deal because he is a black man and, you know, we haven't been able to see diversity in these more, I guess, period accurate adaptations. It's going to be really great to see him. I mean, he's been more of a comedic actor and a little bit more of that goofy kind of friend. So I'm really excited to see how he's going to do in this. I think people were pointing to like, he was in Game of Thrones too. He had like dramatic roles. I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm excited to see. I am really excited because the universe finally heard me asking for persuasion adaptations. (laughs) I also was like asterisk with like, not just white people, please. 
I'm stoked for this. Like, I'm excited. All of us are on the same page where we've heard they are potentially modern versus uh, Regency adaptations. But there hasn't been concrete, like, there's been, like, kind of allusions to it. And I'm True. like, listen, we need, I need concrete stuff. But I am definitely down for both of them to take different takes on it. I'm down for this one to have that tension there. I've seen some Austin people not happy because they're like, how? But that would make Sir Walter potentially racist. I'm like, yes, Austin specifically set us up to hate Sir Walter. I don't know why you would want him to be a sympathetic character. He's supposed to be there as the, you don't want to be like this person. We all have this person in our family that you don't want to be near. So I think like adding the tension of like racism along with the very real tension in the book about class systems and the change in class divide is real and good. I also really need people to stop saying that black people didn't exist in the Regency era. Specifically for this time, like yes, black people existed. Don't know why we need to keep saying that. But that was the first thing that people were upset by when they heard the casting for this Wentworth. And I'm like, I need you to stop. Also, please look at history. Um, Alexander (laughs) Dumas' father was a high-ranking military official in the Napoleonic Wars. He was a black man. Yes, Alexander Dumas is a black man. I don't know if all of our teachers taught us that when we were in school. But I think that, like, this is going to be really important for those discussions, in my opinion. Because I think... Yes, we have these lily white adaptations of Austin, but I'm very excited for these adaptations to actually dig deeper and for us to have these real discussions about history wasn't just all white fam. I know that we really, really love our fave versions, but they also have helped in this whitewashing of this space and this genre and this period. So that's why that's why I like things like Bridgerton get me excited. I'm like, yes, let's pump all the diversity in there because London would have been diverse. Like, Let's stop pretending that these were not diverse places. So I'm thrilled for this version. Let's go deep on this. Let's like actually have this extra tension that would have been real if if he were, if Wentworth were a black man. Let's like, let's have this out in the open. Let's like show that like Sir Walter was a terrible person. Because I think a lot of people were like, oh no, he's just kind of a snob. And I'm like, but it would have been such night and day in that time like Mm -hmm. he wasn't just a snob he was like a bad person like he was a a jerk he was awful like and i think some people just don't really have that click us talking about all of this of like all of these adaptations coming out like casting people of color and hopefully like including them more behind the camera as well you know in 1995 we got pride and prejudice we got sense and sensibility we got like a lot of things like in that year it's sort of like nice seeing that we're having not only like a jane austen renaissance but a renaissance for like really like putting people of color in like the center of these stories and really showing you're right they were not absent during this time and during these adaptations and so we are sort of moving forward with these stories that we all know how they begin middle and end we all know them because they've been published for hundreds of years But really, like, that new take and, like, that new casting, I think, really gives it the, like, renaissance that we've, everyone's been wanting. Because, like, as much as I'm like, yeah, give me all adaptations, I also want them to be different and unique. Like, when I first saw the stuff for Emma 2020, I was like, oh, God, do we need another Emma? Like, do we need another one that almost looks like almost a copy paste of some of the ones I've seen before? And then I walked in and I was like, oh, it's different. Like, they did do something very different with this one. And I think that, like, that's really what I want from now on with adaptations i'm like just make it fun and different i don't need a copy paste you can't touch those adaptations so don't just do your own thing own it embrace it have fun with it (laughs) i think it's actually really nice when we get new adaptations for like different generations but i agree that like if you're just gonna like cast the same people tell the same stories have the same costumes have the same everything what's the point of making a new one so i have this thing too about why it is important that we keep making adaptations that are more representative of our time. I I do this talk about Mr. Darcy through the ages where I show the visual representations and why it's really important for us to think about them because they represent more about our time and our perspectives on Austen and on romance than they do about her books. Like Colin Firth jumping into a pond while sexy as hell, is not in the book, but it's still really important because that was like a steamy moment for cinema and I'm like, or for TV, I guess. And I just think that's like really important that we keep in mind that some of the things we remember most about them are far more indicative of 
our time and our like culture dynamics than they are about her time. And that's why I'm always just like, yes, there can be some feed between book and movie, but I think that's why I'm like, adaptation just own the time period. Like that's why Clueless is timeless because it went with a vision. And I feel like that's why I'm like, yes, go with a vision. The book can be informative. What's stronger, I feel like, is when you have that like vision for what that story is going to actually be. I think going into then the Dakota Johnson persuasion, we know that this will be a fully modern adaptation. So they can really create that vision and run with it as since it's set in modern day. They announced it. I feel like it was a little bit of the Bridgerton effect too, just because they were like, great, people want more of these stories and romance is really big. So they greenlit that real quick and we're like, we're filming this tomorrow. So Dakota Johnson is Anne Elliot. We know that Henry Golding is playing Mr. Elliot, her cousin. And we have a pretty unknown actor, Cosmo Jarvis, who was playing Frederick Wentworth. So that just, uh, all the fan castings had to delete whoever they considered. And we're like, no, we didn't get that on our bingo card uh we we don't know who this guy is but i think in that way too he can't really have a lot of criticism because we don't know him that's also a a little bit there but they announced the full cast too it's a pretty diverse cast which is really great i think if you follow henry golding on instagram you saw he was already flying out to the uk so uh they're probably filming pretty soon we don't know much about this one too just the full cast uh we don't know like what's her job gonna be or like how what's the whole setting so this will be interesting to see but i feel like we're gonna be seeing it probably like by early next year if anything and hopefully we'll get to see this one in theaters. So full disclosure, Yolanda and I have a huge crush on Henry Golding. Most of us do. We were like, oh, he's cast? Oh, he's he's her cousin. Okay. <laughs> that was that was a step for us. That was that was a necessary I just want to mention that step in the like unveiling the cast process. But I, I feel like that was for all of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going back to the Ray J. Jean, like not being typecast, I think he's in a little bit of that space of he's like, listen. I'm doing these crazy rich Asian movies. I'm already the romantic lead. I don't need to be the romantic lead again. If you saw the Snake Eyes trailer, he's clearly trying to make a hard left away from romance. So uh, I get it, but also I'm sad. It doesn't mean I'm I'm not going to be sad about it. I was going to say, I get it, but I'm not happy about it. Here's why I'm willing to give Cosmo Jarvis a chance. Because when, you know, we saw Emma at the beginning of 2020, probably one of the last movies all of us saw in theaters before the world stopped, I had no idea who the nightly actor was. No clue. Oh, he's a like folk musician. Cool, whatever. And then like, I fell in love with him at the same time that like Emma was also slowly falling in love with him. And then like the final folk song as the credits were rolling, like is him. I was like, okay, I get it. I'm in. (laughs) So perhaps Cosmo will give us a similar feeling inside. I'm not going to say a same performance. I'm open to being dazzled. He does sing. He sings. There you go. He like you have to. Maybe we'll get an end credit song (laughs) from him too. Maybe that's the new move for like part of the Jane Austen Renaissance. Is like we just cast musicians in our leading male roles, and then we get a song during the credit. I would love that. Like it kind of harkens back to like old school cinema, where like you'd have at least like a couple songs incorporated with your cast. Yes, I think that like the Henry Golding thing was heartbreaking, but I also he's gone on record and said that he chose he wanted that role. Yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued because I'm like, you know what? Fine. Then like this will be, I think, one of the first times. I mean, we don't know about the Snook version, but that we have the cousin that's kind of there but not. I feel like actually be something where like wait. I will hold everything to see what the cousin brings to the table. So I think like, again, this could really, depending on how they write it, rework how we're feeling. I know there's concerns from folks about like, oh, I don't want it to be like an Asian villain kind of thing. And I totally get that. I think though with Henry Golding's eagerness, and I think too, this is another Netflix adaptation. It's not the same production folks as Bridgerton, but I would hope that because they are clearly diversely casting, they're doing a modern version, that they're thinking through the implications of that. But I definitely think this is really interesting because now we're going to be like, I need Wentworth to really prove to me why you're going to choose him. And not to say that like he can't do it. I'm just saying that like 
in the writing, in the how they edit it, like they're gonna have to really prove to audiences why you wouldn't go with Henry Golding, no matter how how bad he might be. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was me for the second to all the boys I love before movie, where I was like, go with him. Like, what, why are you wasting your time with Noah Centineo still? Like, this is the obvious choice. <laughs> Jordan Fisher is playing the piano for you right here. Like, and at the end, you're like. No, this was a dumb choice, Laura Jean. I'm sorry. I can't go with you on this one. Girls need I mean, space to make mistakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that. <laughs> so true. So yeah, I think that's why it's exciting though, right? Because you're just yeah. like, okay, Henry Golding's doing this specific thing. So far, I think the weakest link I've seen really is Dakota Johnson. I don't know if she can like do it. Is she doing a British accent? Like, I don't know who. That's the what's... risky thing. Like, if she does the British accent, I'm like, I'm going to only be focused on that. I'm like, when is she going to slip up? That's a sad thing. But I think if they just let her be American, fine. Like, just do that. Don't make her do the British accent. I feel like I'm still recovering from her lying about how much she loves limes in her Architectural <laughs> Digest interview. I'm like still in recovery. So she's, we'll she's see. a great actress. <laughs> she is. She <laughs> fooled me. She fooled all of us. <laughs> I mean, she had her cultural moment taking down Ellen. So like, we don't know. Like she, I think like to me, it's always just a risk for the, the accent thing has always been like an, ah, like Anne Hathaway way as Jane Austen was like, ah, like it just, it's interesting. It's a modernization because it has the ability to have her just be American. Uh, They announced that Richard E. Grant was going to be in this. And a lot of us are assuming that he could potentially be Sir Walter or her father. Let's just hope that they let people just kind of embrace the part that's good for them, that's right for them, and just run with it. Maybe she grew up in America and her dad's in England. (laughs) Who knows? Has anyone here seen The Wedding Date with Deborah Messing? Yes. So, I mean, I figured I just like wanted to, it's also for our audience. It didn't really make much sense to me how like, you know, she was American, her mom was American, she married a British man and then like had a child with him and like she was raised in England and like that was a Amy Adams and they all were American. That didn't make much sense to me, but we showed up for it, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm like we're I'm willing to suspend some disbelief. Like I'm here for us to just enjoy things and see where it goes. So I'm excited for this though. I think Netflix definitely, if they do this right and if they really go hard on it and it it go it blows out of the water, I think like we could really see this also helping with other Austin adaptations going forward. Well, speaking of other Austin adaptations going forward, let's move on to Sanditon. Bianco, you you have your I have thoughts about this face on. Would you like to bring <laughs> us into the news? <laughs> Okay, so Sanditon was renewed, revived from its zombie-like state, and it is coming back for two seasons. Shockingly, two-season renewal. This is really interesting because, yes, I think there there's two things at play. Like, as much as, you know, I appreciate the fans that were really campaigning for more seasons, I also think Bridgerton impacted this. I know I'm unpopular when I say this. I know that people are mad at me when I say this. But I also think that as we've talked about all these things, we've talked about Hamilton making a ton of money and being a major moment. And we've talked about Bridgerton making a ton of money being a major moment. I really think that Sanditon's renewal is more so based, much like we're seeing the persuasions, I think it's more so based on the fact that Bridgerton made a boatload of money. That's why we're get- we've seen also the changes behind the scenes. Apparently there is going to be more people behind the scenes that are black, which I know was a criticism of the first season. It could usually easily shift to focus on Miss Lamb's story, Crystal Clark's character, and I think it could easily be, if it does that, if it decides to pivot back toward that, because that was a rocky first season, I'm just gonna say. I think that they could really have potential for a beautiful story that could bring in those Bridgerton folks and make that money. Not only for, the, you know, for all, all the production companies involved, because it's a couple, it's a, it's a kind of cascading ladder. It is a bummer that Theo James is not returning, but I think all the things we've talked about are why he's not returning. Not when to get typecast. He didn't know there were going to be more seasons, clearly. <laughs> and I also think there's been a big risk of him just becoming overly sexualized by certain community people because he has been i mean i'm just gonna the say thirsty it. jane austen community is that what you're talking about <laughs> yeah thirsty fangirls uh, 
I think that, like, that's already been a thing he's experienced, and he apparently, even before the pandemic was, you know, started, I think he was also seeing that, like, IRL, because Sanditon premiered earlier in the UK than it did in the US, and I think that that was probably a very informed choice on his part, and I think that's fine. I know a lot of people are like, no, I demand a happy ending, and I'm like, I mean, Jane Austen writes people getting jilted. Uh, Willoughby, I think he breaks Marianne's heart, and he's you know, kind of gone from her story. And I think that's fine. I think they could do the same here and have Charlotte have a stronger, you know, story and have, I think, have a stronger relationship to Georgiana. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they dropped the ball in that relationship hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That has been discussed. <laughs> I think, you know, at least what we know, too, is that uh, the new showrunner will be Justin Young. Andrew Davies will still be involved, but Justin Young will be the one who is driving the seasons going forward, which he was actually the one who wrote the first few episodes of Sanditon. So I do have faith in him because if he's the one who set up Georgiana's story in that way and their friendship with um, with Charlotte and Georgiana, I feel like they're going to be in a more solid place going forward versus the latter half of the season where, like, as you said, it was fully just dropped off and we didn't even say a goodbye from them. Like these two best friends didn't say goodbye to each other. So I'm hoping for the best now that they're going to have more diversity within that writer's room and more of a focus, hopefully, on Charlotte and seeing Georgiana would be great to have more of her story also threaded in. Theo James not returning, his statement included the fact that he said uh, he liked that broken fairy tale ending between them. So I don't mind that Sydney Parker isn't going to be returning just because I think they weren't a great match. I think she was someone who was very bright-eyed coming to Sanditon and like this very older attractive man was like someone who she just gravitated toward and I don't love that he was at times uh, verbally abusive towards Charlotte, so even in public, and she just took it and was very passive. So I'm excited to see Charlotte now move, learn from that, move on, and go into her next journey in a stronger place. I was a fan of Young Stringer, but also open to new leading men. I just don't think she saw him (laughs) in any kind of romantic possibility. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Young Stringer in a different light if he does return. I think, too, with the ending of season one, it definitely felt like they knew that they were going to get a season two. They were like, we're going to keep going. And then it got cut off unexpectedly. And so it was a little bit of that, oh, oh, no, like this wasn't supposed to be like just the ending of the show. It's good at least that like two and three will get to continue to see Charlotte's journey. But I'm also excited to see who else are they going to introduce? Because we don't know who else within the season one characters are returning yet. If filming is happening later this year, we're going to start to hear more and more throughout the year, too. And not only that, but I, I think what's so interesting to me about like Sanditon's journey is it's different from Bridgerton, Persuasion, and all those other things because we kind of know plot-wise what's going to happen. I mean, like obviously, like when you make a TV show, you want to take these creative liberties. It may not happen exactly as it happens in the books. But Sanditon, I mean, like for as much as exists in the book Sanditon, the unfinished manuscript, that filled up half of the pilot. And then Andrew Davies invented the rest of it. Now that they've kind of got the, you know, foundation for this world, they have a lot to work with moving forward. They have a lot more creative liberty because they are not trying to like stick to the book because there is no book. There's 11 chapters. They like set that world in the beginning and then had to create everything after that. Sanditon is a little darker, a little grittier, which I know is something that they were teasing when they were making it. Like, it's Jane Austen, but it's darker and it's grittier and it's sexier. And like, they delivered, they brought it and we'll see how they take that moving forward as well. Yeah. And we're not even sure if like Young Stringer is coming back. There's been rumors that like that actor is probably going to have other roles too. It's going to be a little bit of a fresh start in Sanditon. The town maybe is hopefully back up and running and they'll get a fresh start with new people moving in. We'll see also what brings Charlotte back to Sanditon. If it's just like, hey, you want to hang out here again for a summer? Cool. I think that all those things is why I'm excited for the changes. I know a lot of people are really upset, but I'm also like, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of people who are brokenhearted about things, I'm like, maybe you should be upset at Andrew Davies for having the hubris to think he'd get renewal. Like, I know that's blunt and not, I guess, kind to him, but I'm also like, that first season was made on the assumption that was not confirmed that he'd get more seasons. And I also feel like it strayed so far from what we knew of Austin that I don't really hold to the idea that like, no, it would have 
she would have focused on this. And I'm like, yeah, but the coulda, wouldas don't matter because it went so far off book that we don't know. So that's why I'm kind of in the space of like, I, I, the argument that Austin would have done this doesn't track for me. I don't think Austin would have done some of the other stuff we've seen. I think okay. she wouldn't have done, let's, lest we forget, there was like incest in this. There was like, we kind of saw some sex happening. It was like, it was TV. So it was kind of like, it had to be fade to black. But like, normally, like you know, when Yolanda and I talk about these adaptations, we're talking about conversations. We're talking about people emotionally screwing each other over. And we had to talk about like, can we say this on the podcast? Can we like allude to that? Because yeah, they did sort of like go for that edgier appeal. But I feel like we're kind of not in this world where we're like, what would Jane Austen do? It's more like Andrew Davies has written 90% of all Jane Austen adaptations that have ever been made. I feel like it's just kind of a law in Britain at this point where if like you want to make a Jane Austen adaptation, he's got to write it. I think it doesn't upset me that he's not gonna be at the helm for the rest of the seasons because he's done a lot of it. He's given us some good stuff, but we want some different stuff. <laughs> Listen, he said he was still available to take on Mansfield, Mansfield Park, Park, so he's still he's still willing to work because he's still out there. I yeah. think his time's over. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm like, as much as some people really love some of his stuff, I'm like, he's also had a lot of like doozies and I also don't want my Austin controlled and told by a white man. Like, I'm sorry, but like, can we shift to like have women writing, please? And hopefully women of color writing this stuff because as much as I appreciate the work that Andrew Davies has done, I also really think that it's time for him to kind of be Rick Reardon and say, I'm going to use my name to elevate writers of color and producers of color and all these people of color because his time's done. I don't think he gets that. I definitely am just like, he had his time. He's written, he's done so much. Let other people have a chance. Yeah. yeah. Do for that what James Patterson is doing. We're like, he's not writing books anymore. He's letting <laughs> other people write books. And he's just saying, James Patterson presents. But it's still, I mean, you know? I feel like it's still his name. I think that's like the thing too, you know, it's like you want, you want the person who's actually behind it to have that credit and not just like the Andrew Davies adaptation yeah in like the smaller font this actual name is also behind it so yeah mm -hmm. I, I mean i definitely think it's a way that he could leverage like oh i'm in name hanging out but let me elevate these folks so they can take center stage because people are gonna see his name and want to throw money at it and yeah. i get that but i think definitely it's a way that he could be a great ally in this arts community and like promote other people i don't think he's gonna do no. it but i really <laughs> want him to yeah. we can neither confirm nor deny that andrew Davis is a fan of the Pemberley podcast and may or may not listen to this it's probably a no but you never know I mean we've had you know Crystal Clark on the show you never know if one of her colleagues is gonna listen to her interview move it up the chain I can't tell the future well that's pretty much it for all of our TV film Regency Jane Austen breaking news once again Bianca thank you so much for joining us on this Thank you for having me, despite some of my uh, hot takes about certain <laughs> actors not returning and not being fine. I definitely love all the news. I hope that this is just the beginning of more really cool, fun work being done in this space. I agree. And we love your hot takes. Uh, where can people find you and follow you online? Oh, God, why would any of you want to follow me after all that? Uh, <laughs> I'm book hoarding on most places. Um, just like search for book hoarding, Bianca Hernandez Knight, and you can find me. I help run, created a Jane Austen Facebook community that is staunchly anti-racist and like trying to be as safe as possible. We can't promise 100% safety because sometimes things happen. We have to explain why defending the Confederacy is in fact a bad thing. Those things happen though. Uh, those things happen. They're real. I think that though we try to address them as soon as possible. So Jane Austen Universe is a place. Come hang out. We definitely want to make a safe bubble for Austin space where we can talk about racism and race. Yes, we want to talk about potentially like were there neurodivergent Jane Austen characters maybe let's analyze I think there are really interesting discussions that happen there and I just all around want to welcome Jane Austen folks into a place they can freely discuss cool things about Austen's work and cool adaptations that are coming down the pipeline awesome we love that we will tag all of this when we release the episode thank you so much again 
Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to keep up with us across social media, we are at The Pemberley. We are still on hiatus, but if you want to send suggestions of what we should cover next, feel free to email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Bye everyone!